Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. My guest today is Serge Pringle, and he is author of The Proactive 12 Steps, A Mindful Program for Lasting Change. In this interview with Serge, we talk, I think, on a deep level about that process of change and creating that virtuous cycle that creates a positive feedback loop in our lives so that we can make strategic change that creates a life that is meaningful, feels good, and is purposeful. Serge talks about how you can be proactive in your approach and over time gradually step out of feeling stuck and powerless to enjoying a balanced and happy life. Was really a pleasure to talk with Serge and to talk about his book and this process. I hope you get a lot out of this episode. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget, click the subscribe button and maybe even leave a review on iTunes. All of that really does help people find the Addicted Mind podcast, and I really appreciate it. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Serge Pringle, and he is going to talk about his book, The Proactive 12 Steps. Serge, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, and we'll get into your book and why you wrote it and all of that stuff. Well, uh, hello. Hello. Very happy to be here. I'm a therapist. I'm very much into experiential therapy, somatic psychotherapy. And uh, as a therapist, I tend to think that everybody is very different. 
and every situation is very different. So it's kind of a parallel track for me to look at something that presents a track that people would all follow. You know, as a therapist, I tend to more get into the nuances of each person and how each person is unique. But I've had a long-term dialogue with the 12 steps for the past 30 years or so. I was I discovered it through friends who were in uh, recovery. And I always admired the power that the 12-step culture, the idea of having a common path, and the community that it created to create a system where people can have peer support and basically pull themselves together out of something that would feel like a morass. Right. So you were able to see this community come together. There's something going on, something at work in the community of this 12-step community that you could see people pull themselves out of that pain and suffering, and you could see that. Yeah. 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 And so for me, the dialogue has been, you know, this is another poll. This is different from the very specialized care that you have as a, as a therapist. And to see what it is, you know, that inside this is appealing to me. You know, I tend to, as a therapist, I tend to distrust something that says, here are some steps that are common to everybody. And here is something that will give you a solution. If only you follow these five or six or 12 steps, then you're okay. You know, and it it feels like it might, you know, not pay justice to the complexity of the human mind and the, and the, the complexities of each situation. So, and essentially I also have had some problem with the concept of the 12 steps, you know, the reliance that they have on divine intervention. Uh, or higher power, whatever you call it, but something outside. Uh, But at the same time, I see that there is something working. So the dialogue over the year has been, can I, instead of simply dismissing something because it's not what I do, can I try to understand better what it is that works? And how can I have a dialogue with it in order to learn from it and at the same time to translate it in ways that makes it, you know, something that I can understand better? And if I see what it is that's working there, you know, can I put it into terms that are actually going to be more effective for people to follow that path? Right. So it's being able to see that nuance in everyone. There's a statement I kind of try and live by, you know, beware the tyranny of the one right way. We can get really stuck in that. And but at the same time, what you said, like being able to see that there's something going on here that is benefiting a lot of people. I want to understand it. I want to get that value out and also bring it to the uniqueness of each individual. Yeah. Yeah. So can we, it's not that there is a right way, you know, that is a rigid way, but if you understand what the essence is of what it is that helps people heal, and if you find a way that it could be similar between what we do in therapy and what people do on their own and in the 12 steps. And so use that concept to uh, find a way to express a path that would be healing while at the same time respecting the fact that no two people are alike. Right. What, what brought you into this work? 
to do therapy, to dig into the human mind, to understand this, and then write this book. I, I want to kind of understand the motivation and and why do it. Well, like many people who become therapists, I did it because I wanted to. I needed to understand like more of who I was, uh, why I was doing what I was doing, you know, how to be who I really want to be. So there's a very deep motivation in that sense of understanding and a sense that in some ways there is a virtuous cycle between understanding myself and helping people understand themselves and deal with their situation, that my being actively involved in it is actually something that helps people, but also seeing people going through this path and helping them is also something that helps me. And so it's a very active process being very much engaged in this process for myself makes me, I believe, more effective with others, but also seeing others helps me. And so that's something that gives great satisfaction. Yeah, I love that you said the virtuous cycle, because it really is like that as as you help others and and explore others stuff and, and explore whatever's going on for them, you learn. And then as you grow, as we need to do our own healing, it just kind of feeds on itself in a virtuous way. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is really awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. And like you said, most of us, when we do this, this kind of work, we're looking for something for ourselves as well, because somehow how we're lost is in this world and life is complicated. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about what you found as you started to dig into the 12 steps. You saw this, you, you were able to see other people growing through it, what did you start to find? Well, uh, over time, my view got deeper into what I saw as the healing process. And there was also more of a convergence with what I saw happening in therapy. And what I found is a sense of essentially having a concept, a more generalized concept of what is healing. So together with what's happening over the years, over the past decades in therapy and in my understanding of therapy, the whole trauma-informed perspective on therapy and the idea of trauma not being just trauma with a big T, you know, the kind of things that come with bells and whistles and everybody would label as trauma, but a more generalized understanding, trauma-informed, that it's impossible to be a human being without having had some situations, some experiences which are beyond our capacity to digest at the time. And so right. if that's my right. definition of trauma, then, you know, we all have had trauma and we all are dealing with trauma and there's a whole continuum. And it's not to minimize or trivialize, you know, trauma with a big T or to say that, say, people who have addiction are, you know, trivialize it. But I think there is a tremendous value in seeing that there is a continuum. And that we're all on this continuum and that, you know, that the, the healing is essentially something that is akin to what we have in terms of trauma healing, which is to come into the experience of overwhelm and deal with it. And from the dealing with it, you know, discover the underlying vulnerability, you know, the, the general underpinning of it, which is how we deal with threat. You know, how right, the nervous system right. 
mediates the way we function under threat and how we can learn to deal with that better. Right. That we can get some practical tools that can walk us through that. Yeah. 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 So I like that you say practical tools because, you know, we can talk about it in a sense. Oh, yeah, trauma does this and so on. But all of this is empty because in the moment of being confronted with trauma as an individual, you know, you're exactly in the position where you're disempowered, where you are with the least access to your capacities. And so it takes practical tools to actually overcome these kinds of moments. That it is something that you can practice, that can be laid out for you to get better at. You can develop these tools. You can build these tools. Yeah, yeah. You can build these tools. I think that's a very important thing. And the and the important is to realize that you know we're different people when different parts of the nervous system are in gear, and so you cannot build the tools when you're activated and when right. you're either in sympathetic mode or in ventral vagal in a dorsal vagal you know when you're there you cannot you cannot have access to the tools if you have practiced them you know time and again and in progressively more difficult situations then you probably can have some access to them but you cannot invent them at that time and so that kind of a roadmap you know, to realize where you are and to get the tools at the time when you can use them and practice them, you know, instead of setting yourself up for failure by finding yourself time and again in a situation when you're overwhelmed and it just confirms and strengthens your trauma. Yeah, I, I, I kind of say like when we're in a in a joking way, when we're kind of sane and we're not we're not in our overwhelm, that's when we want to do the work. And yeah. when the overwhelm comes, we have maybe have a chance at a little more access to these tools and we can pull them online if we built them before we're offline. But we have to yeah. we have to do that. Another question I was thinking about as you as you were talking was, you know, when we go into that space of overwhelm and we're kind of offline almost, so to speak, or almost offline, is this where that component of 12-step, that community comes in and can act as a guide for us when we can't guide ourselves. So the great value I find in the programs is that people have community. And uh, of course, the community of the 12 steps is in itself an asset. And I think a lot of the power that uh, people ascribe to God might actually be coming from the sense of support from the community. Right. So I do believe very much in community. In the um, proactive 12 steps, as I wrote them, you know, some people are going to be doing this in parallel. Many people are going to be doing it in parallel with what's happening in their 12 steps groups. And I'm encouraging people when they do the proactive 12 steps to try and adopt a slightly different structure for their community. Instead of having, you know, the more distance of no crosstalk, to have a small group where people can trust each other and know each other more, uh, as opposed to possibly strangers coming in, and develop a form of active listening so that you have more of that sense of being heard and understood 
you know, which is crucial. And I'm not criticizing the 12 steps for not having that. Again, the structure is that of welcoming anybody to come in. And so if you welcome everybody, then there is obviously a need to be more careful about and prevent the tremendous damage that could come from people giving you the wrong kind of listening. But in a small supportive group, then it makes a lot more sense to have active listening and have that resonance and connection. Yeah, absolutely. I One of my favorite things that I do as a therapist and I love doing is group work. It's my favorite part. And having these groups that are guided, that they're the same people kind of over and over again, they really can develop those safe bonds and there's someone there that can help modulate it too and and in a way help them train that active listening that that skill is another tool right to be able to have those healing conversations and reflections yeah 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 but so of course there is a lot of value in having the group facilitated by a therapist or a trained facilitator but I think that it is also possible for people to follow the structure. You know, I give in my book uh, a description of how to have a group and what is how to make it safe and, and how to interact. And I think it is possible for people to do it in a peer system because not everybody is going to be going to therapy. Yeah, and, absolutely. And there is a lot absolutely. of value to, to having peer groups. Yeah, and that you can put some conscious structure to it and work together to to make it that safe space. Yeah, yeah. To heal. Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. And so in your book, one of, one of the things you, you refer to, you refer to like the inner power instead of the higher power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you saying by that? What And what do you mean? Well, in the traditional 12 steps, there is a sense of realizing that what you try to do is doomed and you finally realize it and you surrender to a higher power. And I don't necessarily think that it is something that is a surrender in a sense of giving up on doing things yourself, because actually in following the 12 steps, much of the steps are about changes you make yourself. So, you know, I'm not criticizing the 12 step for saying they're not about active involvement, but there is a kind of meta meaning that's put in there that somehow salvation comes from outside and from God. And I think that, you know, in the, from a more agnostic point of view, you don't have to take a position on whether or not God exists or whether or not God saves people, but the inner experience of being saved by God is an inner experience that actually can be also experienced by people who don't believe in God. And that's progressively connecting to that sense of higher power, to that sense that there is something that organically can be, you know, if you stop being in your own way, something that actually helps you find a way forward. And so that's why I like to refer to it as an inner power and, you know, bridge the gap between people who believe in God and people who don't. It's like that felt sense energy. It's, it's, it's hard to describe because it's, it's visceral, 
mm-hmm. I think what you're saying, but it's that felt sense of inner power, the not just resiliency, but it's it's bigger than ourselves, but it, it is a, a feeling from within that enables us to, like you said earlier, get out of our own way and see it in a bigger way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to think, for instance, the image of a tree. And the tree has in itself that blueprint for growing and going toward the sky. So now if you start putting some things in the way, you know, like there's shade or uh, then the tree is going to grow in a different way to go toward the, the light, you know. And so from a, a certain perspective, you look at it to say, oh, this is a misshapen tree. It's a broken tree. It's this, it's that. But if you start to realize, you know, what was happening is there was something in the way of the light. And if you put the light back where it should be, then the tree is going to grow straight. It's almost like there is a plan for growth and healing. Oh, we have to help that take place. Yeah. Yeah. And and then yeah. watch that manifest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm aware as we're talking this way that it might sound to some people like we're going into metaphysical, mystical and and a lot of, you know, actually, I think it's nice to go there if it helps you. But I think it's really good to see that in my mind, you know, the way I describe it, the way I got so interested in using the, 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 the proactive 12 steps is to say this does not happen by sitting and being mystical and saying it will happen by itself. But it's a vision that shows you the light at the end of the tunnel. And actually, the path that you follow is very specific steps that help you find the power step by step so that that vision comes true. It doesn't just happen. You you yeah. have to take action, right? And what I hear you saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like with that action and with those steps that you're taking, this felt sense, this inner power will, I don't want to say, it sounds like when I say appear, I don't mean appear, but we'll, we'll have it and we'll, we'll see that energy that we can do that, like we can create that, but there's a plan for it. I, I think I hear what you're understanding. I, I, I think I know what you mean. It's not something that, yeah, just magically appears out of the air. It's no, created no. by our actions. Yeah. It's created by our steps that we take, but it all is also a felt sense. Yeah, but so the felt sense is a there's a nice way in which the felt sense experience functions as a guide. You know, uh, just if you want, to, you you ask uh, questions. Or, Am I there? You're hot, or you're getting cold. You know that kind of stuff. So the felt sense is something that helps you stay. You know, navigate the path. So you have a sense of the direction you're going, and that's why you know a lot of this process. It's about paying attention to mindful pause and uh, developing the capacity in taking a mindful pause to have a felt sense that tells you where you are to orient you, okay? So the felt sense is something that then becomes your ally in the sense of what do I do? And you rely on what, you know, you have learned about yourself, about specific steps, you know, of what to do. And uh, progressively, you, be, you develop the ability of the felt sense to, yeah, it feels right. Okay. And it's not an it feels right that disconnected from reality, that it feels right that's actually resulting from reality. 
So the same way as, say, if you play tennis, you play golf, you play any kind of sports, baseball, you know, and the way you hit the ball feels right. You have that satisfying sound of, say, the bat on the ball, the tennis racket on the ball, and the movement feels right. Okay, so that's not an abstraction. That's not mystical. It feels right because you have learned over time that this is how it sounds when it works. Okay, totally get that. And what I would say is just to add to that, going back to the beginning when we're talking about trauma, trauma can disconnect us from that. And then then we can't we don't have that skill anymore or can take that skill away or or change it, or we can't access it in the way that you're talking. And healing that trauma allows us to follow that that sense that you're talking about, that felt sense that is is connected to reality. It's it's manifested because of being connected to ourselves yeah. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a balanced, healthy way. And I and I, uh, you know, you use the phrase, you know, healing that trauma allows us to be connected to ourselves. And I think, you know, I know what you mean, but I would underline a sense of the bi-directionality of that phrase, that being more connected to ourselves is the healing and the healing enables us to be more connected to ourselves. So again, this is how we hit that virtuous cycle. And then the vicious cycle is that progressive cycle of disconnection. I'm glad you say that because that is, yes, yes, absolutely agree with that, that virtuous cycle and I think that's what sometimes makes it hard to get when you are in trauma because it's hard to see that cycle I think sometimes because it's we're just we're in the other cycle which is disconnecting us from it so it's hard to see it's very it's very hard it's very hard you know some people say you know in some way that uh, you know say the the concepts that I describe in the book or Generally, when people talk about uh, trauma and trauma healing, and the concepts of trauma healing can seem like, you know, motherhood and apple pie, very simple. And the whole point is not to forget that actually it's when you're in the midst of trauma that you cannot have access to that simplicity. You know, what feels obvious when you're out of it does not feel obvious when you're in it. And so when you're out of it, yeah, of course it's evident. But the point is, how is it that you communicate that to the self, yourself, when you're in the trauma mode or in the addiction mode, or to other people when they are in the in the trauma mode or the addiction mode? And, you know, that's really finding a pathway back to this Right. And that there are, like you have in your book, practical ways to get there. Yeah. That you, you can do these things. And, and we know, especially, I think, with how we understand trauma now and, you know, like you said earlier, the nervous system and, and more of this brain science, we know there's a way to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk about that process of change. Mm-hmm. and how that happens. And as you move through the proactive 12 steps, how is that change going to manifest? What does that look like? Yeah, so it's a step-by-step process where essentially early on, about step three, you start to develop to be curious about what happens when you take a mindful pause. 
And so that mindful pause becomes the DNA of the process because it's something that moment by moment helps you orient, but is also something that helps you stay and be more progressively more able to accept, you know, at first start with tolerate and then accept what is actually very powerfully difficult in experience. So as you progressively develop staying with that mindful pause, and it's not just something that is about pausing as if you stop a, a video, or, but it's something that you engage your curiosity. So as you start to play with that and dis discover what it's like, then little by little, you start to deconstruct the structure of what happens to you in life. You start to see patterns not just uh, situations where you say behave badly and you have to correct an individual situation or apologize to this person or that person, but discovering there is a pattern. And as you discover there is a pattern, again, you go deeper into it. And then you discover that the pattern is actually something that is a solution. It's a misguided solution, but it's a solution that's brought about by the pressures of the moment and you having limited resources and you jump into the only thing you know, you know, and then you start to understand better the nature of the pressure and the nature of you know, the fear and vulnerability that's under there and how much it's difficult for most of us and certainly for people who are in trauma to tolerate the vulnerability because the consequences are so strong. But as you have developed over time, you know, this is not just something that happens right away, but over time, over the steps, you have developed more of that ability to stay present with it. So you develop more of the ability to tolerate and accept, you know, what is so painful, and you start to see the possibility of acting differently. And you rehearse these new possibilities in a safe environment. Because if you just went out under pressure, you just wouldn't, you know? Right, right. And as you start to actually discover that you can progressively apply these new behaviors in situations that were stressful, essentially what you have is the process of memory reconsolidation. You know, that the reality is now, you know, the as you saw it, is now confronted with fresh reality, which is different. And that's how healing happens in therapy. And that's how healing happens in the proactive 12 steps, because you have actually given yourself the possibility of engaging with reality in a way that, you know, destroys your old preconceptions and gives you a new view of reality. Right, right. And what I'd say, my one of my thoughts came up as I'm thinking of someone in pain, they would go, but I need out now. I, it's got to change now. It has to happen now. I'm in so much pain. And talk about that, the process of that over time, you know, because I yeah. think when we're in a lot of pain, we just want out. Yeah. And that's a reality. And that's why, for instance, in recovery, a lot of people don't make it. You know, in recovery, sometimes even uh, in treatment centers, uh, it takes people several stays in treatment centers before they do. In therapy, when we see clients, we all have had clients who simply don't stay because it's too painful for them and they can't handle it. 
I wish I could say that I had a way that helps everybody stay with the difficulty, and I certainly don't. So it's very sad. It's really very, very, very sad to say that there are people who I don't know how to help or we don't know how to help. And the best we can do is a sense of, you know, that presence, that connection. You know, the reason I like the concept of peer groups is because a peer group has believability. A peer group is somebody who says, you know, I've been there. I'm still, you know, sometimes I'm where you are. And on the whole, I think it's working for me, you know, to keep doing it. And I see enough in it to to go ahead. And I'm going to give you support if you're willing to stay. Right. You know? So, yeah, I think there are ways, but it's within a context where it's not an obvious, you know, easy for everybody. I think it's one of the reasons I say, no matter what, if you're struggling, reach out for help, get the support that you need, because sometimes these emotions are, they're just difficult. They're just hard. They're painful. They're, and sometimes we don't know how to support ourselves and having someone else there can get us through that moment that yeah. that time frame where we can continue to eventually create this virtuous cycle within ourselves yeah 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 so if there was one thing it would be to look for kindred spirits who are willing to engage in a process of healing together right and and then having a structure to do that and a guide is just incredibly beneficial because a lot of yeah. times we don't know what we don't know yeah. Yeah. So, Serge, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast and just sharing your wisdom, talking with you. I can just, I can feel that you live this process. I can just, I can, I can tell that. So I really appreciate that. One thing I love to do before we go is to just ask a question, which is if someone is out there struggling they're having a difficult time, and you could tell them one thing, what what would it be? What would you want to tell them? So the one thing I would do is connect to a kindred spirit um, and realize you're not alone. You're not outside of human experience, but other people have gone through that, and other people are going through it. And together, supporting each other, you can do it. So the book, you know, that I wrote is not something that people can do by reading a book, just I'm encouraging people to read the book by themselves if they want to, but really as something that functions as a guide for people to maximize what they can do with each other, which is the beauty of human experience is we can help each other through things that are very, very difficult. Yes, absolutely. Where can anybody find the book? Where can they get it? So they can look for it on Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble online. And also I have uh, much of the material free to access to anybody on the website proactive12steps.com. Proactive12steps.com. Great. I will put all of those links in the show notes. Appreciate you coming on, sharing your time, sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thanks, Wayne. I really enjoyed it being with you. 
All right. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. You can find a link to all of Serge's books and download them there. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button and maybe leave a review in iTunes. Really appreciate it. It does help get the podcast a lot of exposure and helps people find the podcast. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind Podcast, click join, and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day, and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.